Welcome to Game Over Montreal. It's a, it's the same thing as always. It's another Montreal Canadiens loss. You know the words. You know how we introduce this show almost every single time. But hey, we're in the second half of the season. Somehow, just barely. It's dragging on. But we've got a great guest with us tonight covering the Edmonton Oilers and one of the hardest working people in Canadian media. Avery Lewis McDougal, how's it, how's it going, man? How how are you feeling watching your Edmonton Oilers win a fourth straight after a terrible time in December? Well, first off, Andrew, it's great to be here. Game On is a wonderful show. I watched so many episodes. You've been doing a great job of the show, killing it. But to see Edmonton win four straight games now, it's good because we saw the tailspin this franchise was in for a very long time. So it appears they are rebounding to an extent, which is great to see in the Western conference race for a playoff spot, Andrew. Yeah. And they need to make the playoffs. This is a team that doesn't exactly have any excuses at this point in time. And you can't miss the playoffs again with McDavid Mm -hmm. and Dreisaitl playing this well. Like it's just not going (laughs) to, not going to sit well with fans, not going to sit well with the players. I feel like if they were, if they do end up missing this year, which they, I don't think they will. I don't think they will, but if they do, I don't know about McDavid because he's such a company guy, but I feel like dry might be like, I'm done. It's like that Jerry Seinfeld gif. The like, (laughs) I'm out. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I don't think he'd be done, but I think dry would be either. I think he's the kind of guy who would say, you better fix this right now or for next season. As I feel he might be, but I get, yeah, no, Edmonton has to make the playoffs. And I feel they have to win a playoff series. It can't just be going to the playoffs. And once again, you're out in four or five games. You got to win a playoff series or make it to a conference finals for real progress. Cause what we're in year seven and year eight of McDavid and dry teams like, like other teams before we've had two young stars have had so much more success in Edmonton. But Edmonton, in the past few years, keeps fumbling these two, which to me is just bizarre. And I've said it before on my shows, i said before on other outlets, that if this team doesn't make the playoffs or get past the first round, clean house. Clean out Bob Nicholson, Ken Holland, and Dave Tippett. Start fresh. Yeah, you basically have no choice in that situation. But, you know, we'll, we'll stay positive on Edmonton for now. We're going to talk about Evander Kane <laughs> at some point here, but uh, we got to talk about the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, less mm. positives to take from that one. And we got a, a request from Twitter during the game from someone saying, uh, can we talk about Sam Montembeau, who ha- seems to either put out what appears to be his best performance of his life or something like tonight where he allows, I think it was six goals on 15 shots. Yeah. And it's it's really tough to put it all on the goaltending. The goaltending hasn't been great. I, I know that uh, Montembeau heading in tonight was on a really good streak, mm-hmm. but this is kind of what you have to expect from third and fourth string goaltenders, right? They can have great nights, but oftentimes, especially when the team in front of them is not good, and the Canadians were not good defensively tonight, like really not good defensively. <laughs> It's going to get away from them. They're like, 
Carry Price is not playing right now, especially prime Carry Price. I feel like this fan base in a lot of ways has kind of been spoiled because if you're an older fan, you know, you probably grew up watching Ken Dryden and then that passed to Patrick Waugh and then that mm-hmm. passed to, you know, Jose Theodore who won a, a heart trophy and then Carey Price, the next goaltender to win a heart trophy after that. So like you've been kind of spoiled by having somebody solid and dependable in that net for so long. You haven't experienced outside of the season that Carey Price essentially missed in 2015-16 something like this where even if price is having a bad season, it's not like this, right? No, exactly. <laughs> so this is a new thing for a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans, especially those who weren't paying attention when Mike Condon had the reins in uh, 2016, but it, it's rough to watch it kind of like tonight. The first few minutes of the game were like super boring. Like both teams were feeling each other out. There wasn't really much going on. And then all mm. of a sudden it was just like, bang, bang, bang. Oilers up three. And it's like, it's over. <laughs> night night <laughs> right and it's funny because when that order's offense gets going it's so hard to stop be it and it was, it was more just mcdavid it was guys like dry sidle hyman etc etc once they get going it is so hard to contain them no matter what team you're playing against no what team you're playing against the oilers yeah yeah 100 percent. i mean the oilers are scary <laughs> when <laughs> when when they get things going it, it can be pretty scary uh the Canadians offense was uh, not that good tonight. Uh, I thought they did uh, some decent things in the middle frame there. It seemed like they were coming back, but every time they managed to get momentum, uh, they gave it up very quickly. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, you saw, you saw the, the, the penalties that Cassian took. They scored a power play goal from Tyler to Foley immediately, which could have been great for getting back into his game. And then what a minute later, dry saddle, bam, like that hurts the team. To give up a goal after you score like that. And Tyler Toffoli is someone who has still been a great asset for the Habs. But to see his power play goal basically be negated, that that just deflates you in a major way. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, you know, uh, Jake Evans, I think, is somebody who I'd point out continually making things happen for the Canadians. Uh, last game as well, he scored two goals. Tonight, he was the engineer behind Josh Anderson's goal. I will mm-hmm. say, I called out Josh Anderson a little bit, like lightly, in the last <laughs> show that I did. I just said like he wasn't very visible, you know, and he has this habit of he's either super visible and like barreling down the side and blowing guys up or he's totally invisible. And tonight, hey, you know what? I saw Josh Anderson out there. I saw him get many quality looks. So Josh Anderson, good on you. You did some good stuff tonight, even though the team around you did not uh, support you. And, you know, if I'm going to continue to rail off some very light Canadians positives. I guess Michael Pizzetta, he gives a shit. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he cares. He's trying every possible way to stay on this roster going into next year. And I think that is very valuable. No, it is massive to see his team. And, you know, you mentioned, I think off draft, Andrew mentioned this team's record right now. And the Habs have been around for over 100 years. And it still blows me away that this is their worst start to a season in franchise history. For how long this team has been around, like, that to me is mind-blowing, really. Yes, it is. I mean, <laughs> it's like when I was doing the research on, like, what they're on pace for, because I think they still have seven wins, right? So like let's let's do the math really quickly here. What they're on pace for? Because it's a, it's pretty easy math. 
the last time I checked, they were on pace for 15 wins. So if they have seven wins right now out of, this is game 43, times 82. So they're on pace for 13 wins. 13 now, wins. When it was 15, that was the worst season of, or no, when it was 16, that was the worst season of any non-expansion team since the 1990-91 uh, Quebec Nordiques, who I believe also had 16 wins that season while they were tanking for Eric Lindros. The year before that, the Nordiques had, I think, 11 wins. So now they're the 1989-90 Nordiques. Now, like, it's, wow. it's not a pretty scene. And the amount of teams who've had fewer than 15 wins going back, like... There's more in the 80s and in the 70s mm -hmm. because of like the rapid expansion that the NHL did and like the parity just wasn't there. But in the modern NHL era, which is really like 1990 forward, it just hasn't happened. Like the Nordiques were for three years so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was joking with Steve Dangle because I just I saw it and I had to text him. I was like, the Nordiques picked first overall three years in a row, 89, 90 and 91. And they won the cup as the Avalanche five years later mm -hmm. with none of those players. Matt Sundin, Owen Nolan, and Eric Lindros, all of them traded, which is mm -hmm. crazy. I find that to be like one of the most amazing stats that I've ever oh. accidentally discovered. They had Sakic, though. They had Sakic on those Nordique team. Those the one guy they didn't have through the rough years mm -hmm. went to Colorado. So. Yeah, yeah. They had like very little uh, overall. Um, what would you call it? Like continuity, mm -hmm. but it was like Joe Sackick, uh, Curtis Lecision, and there was one more. It might have been Gusarov and Stefan Fise, who was a backup when they won the cup, yeah. I believe. So it was like very little overall continuity, but some, you know, like Sackick right. had to sit there and gut through it, which man, that must have been miserable. I mean, <laughs> Back then, it was like players had so much less control over where they went. But I wonder if Joe Sakic would have stayed because he signed an offer sheet, right? Uh, yeah, but that was in Colorado, I think. I think he was. Yes, he was already. Uh, yeah, they're already the Avalanche by the time he signed an offer sheet. So that was not a thing with the Nordiques. <laughs> yeah, that was a wild time because he signed an offer sheet. Uh, Sergey Fedorov signed an offer sheet. You don't mm. see players of that caliber signing offer sheets today. No, Fedorov signed that absolutely wild offer sheet that paid him something like twenty million dollars the first year, right? It, I think it was like if they won the cup or something like that, and they won the cup, and he, it was like it was something crazy. It was like over twenty million dollars, like twenty-two million dollars. It was the highest paid any NHLer had been to that point in a single season by like a significant, significant margin. But hey, the Red Wings won the cup, so I don't think they regret it. No, exactly. Yeah, they went back to back cups. So, hey, it was worth it. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, let's get to Evander Kane because mm. he scored in his debut, which I, I thought was going to happen because you know what? The Canadians are the best slump busters in the league this year. <laughs> and I know that the Oilers had already busted their like lost slump, but mm -hmm. clearly the offense is now in full swing. After facing the Montreal Canadiens, they busted Patrick Kane's goal scoring slump, which was like 16 games or something like that. It's been like all season long, every broadcast, there's like, oh, this guy, you know, he, he hasn't been able to score all season and he gets two. 
And it, it's just been like that. Teams go on crazy hot streaks after facing the Canadians. So expect the Oilers to win the next 10 street, 10 straight. But uh, I expected Kane to score tonight. Didn't expect him to score immediately. <laughs> first first uh, goal of the game. But uh, this is... I don't know what's going to happen here with, with Kane. I, I feel like short term, it's a one-year mm-hmm. contract. It might not be as big of a deal because he might be on his best behavior in that dressing room. But this is a questionable decision from the Oilers, is it not? Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. I've said before on social media, I was not a fan of the deal. I was not a fan of, of course, the distraction in the locker room and his personal matters. I was not a fan of it at all because I was someone who was very vocal about proving why you deserve another chance. And we already know that this is not Devanna Kane's second chance. This is chance number 87. Like, <laughs> this is not chance number two for Evander Kane. Maybe that's why he's wearing number 91. It's his 91st chance. <laughs> Sounds about right. But yeah, we, I agree. Like, this is a, a team where, like, and he knows he has to get his best behavior or else that's it. But yeah, I was not a fan of it. I was not a fan of the deal. To me, it was a bit of a desperate move from Ken Holland to bring him in because we already know how the season has, has gone. We know that his move's not been the best. But in terms of on ice presence, yes, Evander Kane is a great player still. He is still a guy who is physical. He can get to the net. We saw it tonight. He is still a guy who can get you 15 to 20 goals a season. So we'll see how things work out with this. As much as I don't like it, though, I do have to admit that in terms of hockey perspective, it's good for the team in terms of first line. But hey, it's only been game one. We'll see the rest of the season goes with him on that lineup. Yeah, that's kind of like the frustrating thing about Pat, uh, not Patrick Kane. I mean, both Canes, really. They both have off ice issues. Right. But Evander Kane specifically is that his off ice issues are so extensive and mm-hmm. the, like the red flags are everywhere, but on yep. the ice, he is still a damn good hockey player. And for the salary that he's getting for what the Oilers gave up to get, get him. It's like on, for an on ice move, you can defend it. Right? <laughs> it's just like, does he, the person deserve to be in this position? And that's where you're like, no, <laughs> not really. No. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like how many, like how many undeserved chances should one person get? But then at the same time, unfortunately, this is professional sports. It's a business. And so many people who run sports teams see it as can this person help me win? And that's it. Yeah, it's it's really, really strange situation for Evander Kane. And I feel like the whole thing now with San Jose, like I don't know if I missed something, Avery. Maybe you because mm. I haven't been able to read a ton of stuff over the last few yeah. days, but from what I read when it initially happened, mm-hmm. the breach that allowed the sharks to buy out Kane was that he crossed the border. I guess we'll say illegally, but uh, more like he crossed it in a legal fashion, but he was supposed to be in COVID-19 protocol in isolation, which was a breach of his, the rules, right? Right. And now the NHL has cleared him of that. But they haven't gone back at the Sharks for like there's saying that there's another breach. Sorry. Um I'm I'm just trying to figure out like don't they kind of have to tell us what the breach was? Because <laughs> unless right. I've missed it, they haven't said. Like it's the way it's been explained has been very confusing because we know 
he did, he, did, he did something improper to deserve his original suspension. We know something improper was done on his part, which he said with Kayla Gray was a mistake. But now further action is, it's really weird. Like the NHL cleared him of further discipline, but we're not really sure clearly what exactly happened that prompted an investigation. And I don't know if the league will really say that. It's been really gray area in that part, Andrew. Yeah, I, I feel like this is an area where the league owes fans an explanation and mm-hmm. owes media an explanation, frankly, and I'm sure it will come out eventually. But if this is a situation where they've cleared Kane of wrongdoing because they want to avoid litigation over it and they just want him to like continue his career, that is going to look very bad on the NHL. <laughs> because I mean, in the interview with Kayla Gray, like he basically said, like paraphrasing here because it's not his exact Mm -hmm. words but he basically said he didn't do anything wrong when he crossed the border because he didn't get caught like he was 100 (laughs) percent supposed to be in isolation (laughs) right like yeah that's a major issue not just for nhl one but for government of canada one like (laughs) like that's a fed issues at the federal level which is a major issue like (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a lot of things going on here. I mean, like even like the Vax card thing that he had where he faked yeah. the Vax card early in the season. That's a federal crime. Exactly. <laughs> like falsifying mes- medical documents is a federal crime in the United States. So like there could theoretically be charges laid against him for that. Like the FBI could technically lay charges against him. So like there's a lot of stuff going on with Evander Kane. Like there, there's, it's like a mountain of crap and i just don't know how he goes through life and shrugs everything off and be like yeah that's everybody else's problem it's not me he's like that that meme that goes around tiktok like am i the drama i'm not the drama am i the drama like yes evander you're the drama everywhere you go right like even at the press conference a few days ago where was that um he was asked about the issues in san jose in the locker room where it came out that pretty much the entire team disliked him and didn't want him back, Evander said, you know, it was just poor leadership and that allowed the league to happen. It wasn't the entire team. But that's not, that's not what the masses are. That's not what many of us heard, that so many players were against him. Like, you would, we wouldn't have heard that if there wasn't the most of the team. Like, I just thought it was so odd. And then he mentioned how a coach wanted to fight him, a coach of your sheriff wanted to fight him. It's like, I... It's a thing that just makes my head spin and... Sure, some things might be might be untrue. Some things are true, but he's not blameless in any no. of this. He's not. There's there's only so <laughs> many things that can go on that are laid at your feet that you can kind of like get away with, or it's not proven. Where people yeah. just you lose the benefit of the doubt, right? If you're always yeah. involved in everything, and like, I I just find it really funny that he was saying that it was bad leadership, and he was like, yeah, I think I could be a leader on the Oilers. <laughs> <It's> like, <dude. laughs> Like, dude, and and then he mentioned how he was asked about how fans, you know, you want fans to have an open mind. It's not on the fans to have an open mind. You have to prove to them that, like, you shouldn't, you can't say to the fans to have an open mind. You have to prove to them that you're going to change. Like, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Got a question on the stream chat here. Was this game that close? Besides the score, uh, no. Uh, in the first period, the Oilers absolutely dominated the shot clock. I think the uh, Canadians only had three shots by the end of the period, and it was three nothing. And at that point, uh, like the Canadians didn't fold in the second period, like they played all right. But I think a lot of that was score effects, and it just led to the shot count being relatively even. So, like 
the Oilers kind of took their foot off the gas pedal, and then every time they tried to score, they did. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Oilers in the second period, for the first little bit, yeah, they did relax a little bit, but then they turned it back on. And Edmonton, again, I love the fact that they are getting scoring from the second and third line. That's that's, that's the thing that elite teams find a way to do. And something that Edmonton had struggled early on this year was getting scoring beyond Drysdale and McDavid. And they got a bit more of that tonight, which I loved. Yeah, I mean, for, for the Oilers, this is a big game to build on moving forward. I think the only thing that really was missing was McDavid having a standout performance. And mm-hmm. it was Dreisaitl leading the way tonight, which is fine. But I think you want to get McDavid going and getting hot. And that's been, he's kind of been like not great over the last stretch here, which is weird to say. I mean, I mean, not great for McDavid is like, oh, he's only a point per game. <laughs> it's true. Like an average, an average McDavid season or average stretch for Conor McDavid is elite for anybody else. Because remember, when this season, like what, two, three months ago, he was on pace for a season of a, over 140 points. In the modern NHL, a player getting over 140 points is ludicrous. It doesn't happen. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I got a, a friend texting me saying that Corey Perry just scored his 12th goal. You can't make this shit up. <laughs> Corey <laughs> Perry outscoring everybody on the Montreal Canadiens. Like, the the memes that you could make from this season, it is unfathomable what has happened here. And I mean, like, outside of Tyler Toffoli and Arturi Lekkanen and, like, a couple of others, a handful of others, Everyone is having a disaster season. Like it is crazy how rough it's been for the Montreal Canadiens. And this is why like they're, they should be doing much better than this, but not to the point of being like even a middle tier team. But at the same time, if they want to tank next year, I think they're going to have to move a significant amount of players because not everybody can shoot way below their average two years in a row. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of guys rebounding next year that might uh, keep them out of the, uh, the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. So there's going to have to be a bit of a tear down in the summer. I think. I think there have to be, I know after the cup finals, we had a stream on the hockey news YouTube channel where I, where I said the Habs would be a team that would come back and be possibly a wild card team in the Atlantic division. Like I did not see the Habs being this bad. I saw them being in a place for a playoff spot in the Atlantic. I did not see them being behind even Buffalo and Ottawa. That was not in the cards for me, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't have predicted it. I know I didn't predict it. I thought that they would be in tough to make the playoffs. Cause I thought Boston would take a step back this year, which mm. clearly they haven't. Um, but you know, finishing fifth in their division is essentially what I think most people thought. That was like essentially the consensus, right? It was like fifth, maybe fourth if price comes back quick and they get really lucky. But this has been, oh, it's unbelievable. Like there's just every game, well, almost every game, it just, it starts. And as soon as one thing goes wrong, it's like, there's no hope. <laughs> there's <laughs> nothing to look forward to. And hopefully that changes for the Canadians going forward. Cause I know Brennan Gallagher is going to be back soon. Paul Byron is going to be back uh, next game. Cole Caulfield is supposed to be back next game. So like there's things to look forward to. I know Caulfield has, a, has had a terrible season, but at least he's exciting to watch. And with more players healthy in the lineup, that should create some space for Caulfield to make some magic happen instead of having to either play on the fourth line, which is incredibly stupid or play on the first line, which he kind of gets overmatched. So there's, 
things in the works for the Canadians to make the rest of the season a little bit more tolerable, but not a lot more tolerable. <laughs> I mean, take the pauses where you can. And Caulfield back would be great to see. He's someone who I think will have an elite career as a pro. I know he's been to Laval before. I know he struggled in the past, but I still think Cole Caulfield is going to be an elite NHL player for a long time to come still. Yeah. And we've got a uh, little note here from on the stream chat there, uh, Jeff Komaransky saying, I just hope this season is an outliner outlier in Caulfield's career. It's a hundred percent going to be an outlier. Absolutely. I, have, I really encourage Canadians fans who are down right now to take some time, enjoy yourself and watch some highlights from last year's playoff run. Because I've seen a lot of comments about like, Oh, Caulfield will never be in the NHL. He's playing afraid. Watch him on that playoff run. He wasn't, you know, otherworldly. His scoring numbers were just decent. They were fine. But watch the confidence that he played with, what he was willing to do, the areas he was willing to go to. This kid is not afraid. It's just that for whatever reason, he is playing with zero confidence this season. When he gets that back, and he will get that back, it's a temporary thing. He is going to be a very, very good player, a very, very exciting player to watch. So don't get too bogged down on how very bitter this season could make anyone. You know, <laughs> enjoy what you know could happen by watching those young kids last year in the playoffs because they were doing some amazing things. As, as much as that run was very reliant on Carey Price and reliant on some very atypical scoring from a few players. There was some good stuff that happened there that drove that, that run. And, you know, we talked about Dom Ducharme many, many times on this show, obviously, because anytime you have a team that's this bad, the coach is going to be a focal point. Yeah. But as much as I think that he's not the coach for this team going forward, I feel so bad for him, Avery. He took over this team last year when Claude Julien got fired mm -hmm. and like everybody got injured and he finally got like, they just scraped into the playoffs with Cole Caulfield winning a couple games in overtime. And then they were healthy to start the playoffs, but like, you know, healthy Brennan Gallagher couldn't handle the puck. Shea Weber couldn't handle the puck. Both of them had broken hands, like just totally messed up. Weber could barely skate from the pain in his foot and his ankle. I think he had like a knee injury too. you know, Dano was coming off of a concussion. Price was coming off a concussion. Like they were all in the lineup, but they weren't healthy. And like the one time they've been healthy, they went on a run to the Stanley Cup final, which is really fun as much as it was lucky. This season starts, man, everybody's injured. Everybody's got COVID. And it's like he has not had a healthy roster once in the regular season. That's nuts. Like, it's just the guy has never really had a chance to actually use the roster that was built for him to use in the regular season. Now, I don't think it would make him a great coach, and I still don't think he'd be the right guy going forward, but that's a rough, rough bit of luck right there. It really is. It's a thing where, I, if I, you know, if I was a house front office, I'd be willing to give him next year because he's had two years where, again, uh, coming in and filling in as your interim coach and this year here I, with your injuries and you're still dealing with COVID. We're still playing hockey in a COVID world. So rosters are still subject to absolute chaos. So I'd be willing to give him one more chance to see if things can turn around next year and hope and hope and pray his roster is healthier 
and isn't battling COVID like other teams have been all year long, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I understand that. I think the thing that prevents me from saying he should get another chance is just the lack of planning towards the future this season. Mm. Like so often you can't see what his plan is with the way he, that he's made up the roster. Uh, his defensive system is objectively terrible. Like he was handed a, a shit hand, but it's objectively really terrible. And to me, I think Ken Hughes, as much as he said, he didn't need to have his own guy. Mm. I think every incoming GM wants to have their own guy. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think eventually he will. Yeah, I definitely think eventually he will put his own um, stamp on it on a head coaching role. Although depends, although who will it be? I, I really don't know who could replace you, Sharma, as head coach. I, re- I really don't know about who will replace him, Andrew. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, who knows? It There's, <laughs> it's hard to know, right? Like, is it going to be a coach from junior? Is it going to be the guy, uh, Hool, who's in the American Hockey League, coaching mm-hmm. Laval? It's, it, will they bring back Claude Julien again for again. a third run? I don't think he'll <laughs> want to come back so soon, but, uh, oh, I, I'm not sure. There is, it's a tough question because unless you're in the game on mm-hmm. the French side of it, you're not going to know many of the bilingual coaches who are eligible or good. And also it's hard. I think, especially in junior, it's hard to know if a coach is good or if the roster is good, like in junior, how much is the coach creating that situation? How much is like having a bunch of great players? Like was Patrick Waugh a great coach with the Remparts? He hasn't had much success since Radulov was there, you know, like, it was just Radulov dunking on everybody in the QMJHL <laughs> and bringing them a championship. So like, there's a lot of stuff like that where you, it's just, unless you're in the game and you know what you're looking for from that perspective, it's hard to know for an average fan. As somebody asked, how is this series still going on? It's, uh, Luke Deacon says, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad, just depressing. Luke game over Montreal is the catharsis that Habs fans need to laugh and have fun after watching yet another brutal soul destroying Montreal Canadiens game. This is the only thing left this year. That's actually fun for this team. That's, that's my selling point. Maybe that'll be like, uh, we can take Steve dangles. Uh, this team is ruining my life shirt and put it be like, but game over is my only catharsis or something. Like that. This is the only fun thing I have left. Hey man, I used to do YouTube videos on the Oilers deep in the deep in 2013, 2014, when this team had Victor Fast in net. Um, this team had Nikolai Havi Bulin. This team was struggling. I remember when this. I, remember, I, I did videos on this where the Oilers had JF Jacques in the first line, so I know what it's like. <laughs> oh man, JF Jacques, that takes me back. I was actually uh, kind of participating in some Oilers. Uh, like walk down memory lane on Twitter last night, uh, black dog Pat was talking about how mm-hmm. and him and uh, Oilers pain. Weibo were yes. talking about the series from uh, 1997. And I vividly remember that series. Cause like when I was growing up, my dad was an Oilers fan and I lived in Alberta. Well, I get 97. I was still in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Mm. But after that in 98, we moved to Alberta and growing up in Moose Jaw, I got to grow up watching Ryan Smith play for the Moose Jaw Warriors. So watching him that year, that's the year that he scored 39 in Edmonton, like his best year of his career and him like dominating the playoffs. It was like etched in my mind because he was like my favorite player for the Warriors all of a sudden went to the Oilers and was amazing. But uh, 
yeah, some of those Oilers teams that were competing in that like wild west era of no salary cap when Peter Pocklington still owned the team and their salary for the team was like $13 million facing teams make like paying 30 or $27 million a year for their team. Those were fun teams, even though they really had no hope. So there's like, there's, there's things to enjoy even when you're not necessarily a competitive team. No, exactly. I agree. You mentioned those teams. I remember like Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. They would lose to Dallas every year. I mean, they won the one through 97. Yeah. They would lose every year in five or six games, but they would dominate the physically. They would wear the stars down every single game. And Mike Madonna told me himself that the Oilers beat him down so much. He lost two cups. He said, because after, after that series, that team was beaten down against Edmonton. Like they, they were, they were done. They were worn out. Yeah. Yeah, that's I find that super fun. Like looking back on it and yeah, that I loved as much as the clutch and grab era was terrible. The playoff <laughs> rivalries of that era, like Oilers Stars was an absolute war. And almost yeah. every year, I think it was like six out of seven years they faced each other in the first round. You know, Colorado, Detroit, absolute Amazing. mayhem, you know, like great rivalries developed. And I I just want to see the playoffs now i'd like to skip the rest of the season and just go to the playoffs i'm ready uh a bit of news just dropped thanks to uh 22 paper dolls for posting it in the stream chat because obviously i can't really check twitter while i'm doing this uh carrie price is talking tomorrow at 6 15 p.m so that's before the game because the canadians play tomorrow as well and he is talking at 6 15 p.m i'm assuming because he skated this morning he's probably just going to put a bit of a timeline on when he's going to come back and maybe give some clarity to his injury. Cause there's been more and more calls for price to give some, not necessarily price, but like the team itself to yeah. give some clarity on what's going on there because he had arthroscopic knee surgery, I believe on his meniscus in the off season. And he was supposed to be back within two months. I believe is what the recovery time was. And that's been much longer than that. And a part of that's been the delay because he went into the uh, league's player assistance program for a bit and he wasn't able to do his rehab. And then because of COVID, his rehab got shut down and the Canadians said that he had to start his rehab over from the beginning. But my understanding of that wasn't that he had to start the physical rehab as if he'd just gotten the surgery. It was that he had had to start the protocols over and go through the steps again. To come back so it could be the price is close that would be something to look forward to for the montreal canadians i think there was something else here too uh david savard is out for eight weeks i mean oh, wow david savard has been having he's been on the struggle bus all season and i don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> a big deal for the montreal canadians at this point that's still about either way who's got for eight weeks that's still tough no matter how he's played in, a, in this season yeah, I mean, I I guess that would mean maybe more oppor- opportunities for Sammy Niku, who kind of de- deserves some more opportunities. So interesting to see. I, I do wonder. Yeah, somebody's saying like that's too bad for the tank. <laughs> I, I feel so bad for Savard. I, I did. I stumbled across something while doing some background research the other day. Mm. I don't remember how I mentioned it on the last show, but uh, Ben Sherat over the last three years is the 14th worst worst defenseman in terms of on ice goal differential at five on five relative to teammates. So the 14th worst impact on 
goal differential in the league among defensemen. Oh, wow. And the fourth worst is David Savard. <laughs> the Canadians have this one-two punch of terrible. <laughs> On the same team. Like, that's hard to do. On the same team, that's very hard to manage. Like, yeah, it very much is. Especially when those guys are often lately playing together on the top pair. So if you're wondering why the Canadians get outscored by a lot, that's why. Wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we wrap things up, I have to encourage everyone to go to the SDPN shop. Check out some SDPN Merch, especially Game Over merch, because, you know, support the show. It's a good thing to do. Uh, check out the SDPN app as well. You can listen to this show on the SDPN app as well. Like, you can stream the podcast. You can stream the YouTube video as well if you want to watch. And you can, unlike on the YouTube app, you can shrink the video into the corner of your phone and do other stuff on your phone. The YouTube app allows you... It uh, doesn't allow you to do that, but the SDPN app does allow you to do that with the YouTube video. Very unique. Check it out. But uh, on top of that, uh, we're going to be back tomorrow with more Game Over Montreal. Uh, Shane Malloy is going to join us again. So we're going to get deep into the Canadians' potential front office rebuild once again. Look at maybe some potential candidates for different jobs. Uh, get into detail on that. But uh, before we close things out, Avery, I know you work yes. everywhere. But tell everyone <laughs> where they can find your work. Okay, where you can find my work, you can find me on Twitter at Avery, at A-V-R-Y. You'll find all my links to my work on, on the Hockey News, SI, um, the Brian Avery Hour, Avery Sports Show, the Third Intermission Toronto Podcast. I stay busy, Andrew. I stay busy doing a whole ton of stuff. That's, I mean, that's what I said. Some people took exception to the fact that I said you're the hardest working person in Canadian sports media. And they're like, oh, Julian's going to be up so upset. And I was like, Julian is not going to be upset. Julian knows. Avery is a hustler. He does all sorts of stuff, covers multiple sports. Like for people who don't know, Avery is a machine. He is more machine than man, but still a great man. And look, he rocks a fedora in 2022. He's the man. You got to check him out. So go follow Avery. Get some amazing Oilers content. And, you know, he'll cover you in every sport you can think of. That, that is true. That is very true. From basketball to hockey, rugby league. Hey, I even used to, I even covered rodeo before, Andrew. I covered rodeo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even when I first <laughs> heard of you, like when I started yes. like watching your Avery sports show, I was looking through and I was like, how does this guy get these incredible interviews and you were interviewing people like way high up and like incredible, incredible gets. And I was like, this is the hardest working man <laughs> in this business. He just finds a way. Avery finds a way there. There you can put that on your merch. Avery, Avery finds a way. I can. Yes. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining me here today. And thanks everyone for logging on and watching the show. As I've been saying on every episode lately, if you're still watching this show in this terrible season where there's nothing really fun about this team, you're such a hard hardcore and I love you to death. 